You're listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast, illuminating the unheard stories of today's top leaders in impact with your host, Gino Borges. Welcome back, everyone, to the Poetry of Impact podcast. Joining us today is Chintan Pachal, founding partner at RPCK, an international boutique law firm focused on social impact. I met Chintan, the previous podcast guest, Bihana Natu. In this episode, you'll hear Chintan talk about law in ways that you likely haven't heard before. While he is seen as both a lawyer and an entrepreneur, his deep work is really based around helping others align with pursuits that feed the soul. Chintan explores wealth beyond the lens of capital and time, adding a third dimension that's rarely acknowledged. Wealth is measured by life energy. He talks about how he personally taps into his life energy and how we can share those qualitative effects to motivate others in an intentional way. Mostly, I love how Chintan effortlessly interweaves the grammar of impact with poetry. So with that, drop in and enjoy the show with Chintan Pachal. Hi, Chintan. Welcome. Hey, Gino. Great to be here. Yeah. Hey, I want to continue with what we were talking about offline. And I just love this idea that we were evolving this connection between uh, thinking about wealth as economic energy and its connection potentially with life energy. And you're such at a really interesting nexus in the field of law and entrepreneurship and Perhaps you can back into what you do by sort of talking about what your high-level thoughts are in terms of what you've seen in terms of how life energy and economic energy work together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and thanks so much for allowing me to dive into this conversation with you. Um, it's so interesting, you know, the way that you think of this idea of life energy, right? Because, of course, in the kind of the regular world, you know, of business, finance, economics, you know, you name it people generally think about the inputs to building an enterprise, investing in something, you know, kind of growing a company, you know, what have you, you know, along these kind of two traditional axes kind of how much capital are you deploying towards something and how many human hours are being, you know, kind of time and money, right? That's what people think about. But now you've added this additional idea. This is what we've been talking about, which I think is such a beautiful concept, right? Which is, you know, this idea of of life energy, right? Kind of, I oftentimes think of, you know, uh, kind of capital as oxygen that's going into an engine or, or, or gasoline, right? It's, you know, it's one of the two elements of the fuel. You know, time, of course, is the other. And, and you know, this idea of what one brings when one brings when de- devotes their time, right? Kind of, it's almost like the quality of that time, right? How do we measure that? How we think about that? And obviously we've touched upon, you know, in business and philosophy and, and financial analysis, you, you know, people are aware of this idea that if there's passion or meaning and purpose behind, or, you know, there's a deeper connectivity to the, to the job at hand, you know, these concepts are, are, are quite familiar to us. But what's, I think what's super cool about this is, you know, the question is, of course, how do we measure that? And then how do we harness that? If we can measure it and we can capture it conceptually, then how do we, how do we harness that? How do we be able to apply that in a more intentional way? Because if we are, then I, you know, I think what, you know, what we're saying is, okay, there's this third axis, 
that we should be thinking about just as intentionally as we were thinking about the first two, time and money, right? Kind of financial energy, you know, or, or kind of the is, is measured in terms of quantity, right? Time is has some bit more of a qualitative element to it, but it's still measured in quantity, right? Can we measure life energy in, in terms of quantity? Obviously, we, we certainly think about it in terms of, of quality, but if we, if we start thinking about that in terms of quantity, now we can plot it along this axis. Now we can, you know, build these machines. And when I say machines, I'm thinking about intellectual machines, right? Kind of companies and financial products and portfolios and approaches and nonprofit organizations. You know, all of these are, are these, you know, intellectual machines that, that require inputs, capital, time, and intentionality this life energy that that you that you i think so eloquently are, are are describing you know all are going into any of these and i think if you look in hindsight you say all right well let's look at it you know some successful enterprise let's look at a successful impact investment let's look at a successful charitable kind of uh, operation let's look at you know uh, a great company and we can look at any and all of these, and we can identify, all right, well, how much money went into building that thing? And how many people and how long did it take and et cetera. But we're not oftentimes, you know, thinking about, all right, what was the quality of energy invested by those key individuals, right? We, we love these stories, right? You know, the story of, you name it, right? I mean, Henry Ford, Thomas Edison, you know, uh, in the charitable world, you know, you, you can talk about, you know, all these really wonderful success stories, right? You could look to some of the most influential entrepreneurs, business leaders, impact investors, you know, you, you can look at what these folks are, you know, have accomplished and you can tell stories about what they've brought to the table. I can say that one of, you know, the favorite people I get in trouble by saying favorite, but all my clients are, are very selected, very, very carefully chosen uh, in that, you know, what we do as a firm is we support visionaries around the world that are looking to do meaningful things, right? That's kind of how we think about ourselves, right? And so I guess I, you know, I'll, I'll mention that, you know, briefly, because it's maybe the least important or least interesting part of the conversation, but who am I and what do I do? So uh, so I would say I wear two two very 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 significant hats in, in my world, right? The, the two most significant hats that I wear, um, among all the things that I do, one is that of being a lawyer, right? So uh, corporate finance M and A focused lawyer, according to one set of you know definitions or perspectives, a impact lawyer, uh, according to another set of uh, you know kind of uh, another lens that, that upon what I do. But I think, to me, the most interesting, the most compelling, kind of the, the my most favorite thing uh, among all of which I get to do, is be a trusted advisor or guide to visionaries looking to deploy their own resources. And usually, you know, and historically, I would have said, or before today, I would have said, looking to deploy their time and capital, and now I'll say their 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 life energy towards solving big problems that we face as a society and 
addressing big challenges that we're facing on a on a forward looking basis. So, you know, in a in a nutshell, RPCK is a firm that is exists in service of this mission. The levers of economics and finance and entrepreneurialism can be the power of of those tools can be harnessed to drive all sorts of different outcomes. You know, the folks that we work with recognize the ability to take those things and drive them towards solutions to big challenges. There's a lot of energy in entrepreneurial ventures and the ability to aggregate and direct financial, you know, financial flows, et cetera. We know this. And in this impact investing world, people have known for, for some time that you can use those to, to drive social, environmental, socioeconomic outcomes for a wide array of, of stakeholders in addition to maintaining a healthy bottom line, that financial bottom line. So, so why do you think that, um, first of all, I heard you talk about in terms of the need to measure the life energy force. Um, so it's seemingly we associate value with the unit of measurement of time and the unit of measurement of finance. Why in particular does it need to be that same cookie cutter approach in the life force world? Yeah, like I, 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 and and yeah. I say that I say this because yesterday I, I celebrated my son's fourth birthday, mm-hmm. and uh, the bulk of the time was spent in our backyard, uh, dilly dallying, watching the leaves blow, kicking the ball around, having cheesecake, laying on the blanket, enjoying the sun, and I didn't need to have anything attached beyond just the felt experience. And yep. uh, my wife and I you know, settled in after we put, put him to bed and goes, wow, what a great day. I didn't need yep. somebody to scorecard that moment for me. Cool. I, I felt it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's the key, right? You felt it. Because I could take each and every one of those things, right? Kind of watching the leaves blow, lying down on a blanket, you know, et cetera, and separate those out. And if I just said, all right, well, here's your recipe for a great afternoon with your four-year-old. And I, I listed all those things off to you. I don't think we'd get to the same place that you got to, right? There is something deeper. There is something beneath everything that you just described, right? And that's what I'm talking about, right? That's what I think we're talking about. Yes, that's right. The love and the intention and the, you know, the look on his face, right? And, you know, the you know how good your four-year-old feels because he gets to hang out with mom and dad in his favorite place you know, you know, kind of in the world, which is probably the backyard of your home. You know what I mean? Just that that's really what we're getting at, right? It's not like the color of the blanket or the material that it's made out of or the how much time you spent or how many dollars you spent on the cheesecake or whether it was imported from whatever, blah, blah, blah. None of that stuff matters, right? I think that's what, you know, your question is, is such a good one, right? Which is, it allows us to kind of look into you know, this thing, and no one can deny that there is energy in that, there's power in that, there's beauty in that, right? There, there is something really valuable in that. And if our goal is to say, all right, let's use just this as an example, right? Our goal is to say, all right, well, we would love for all four-year-olds and parents or guardians or relatives of four-year-olds to be able to have this kind of a wonderful experience, right? This beautiful, wonderful 
fulfilling, self-affirming kind of experience, right? We just described a bunch of qualitative factors that you can look back on and say, okay, this was amazing. And that's the trick, right? That's the, that's what it is to be engaged and involved in the financial, in the entrepreneurial, in the you know impact world, right? It's we're trying to intentionally create outcomes in the future, right? It's not like, hey, let's just put a bunch of money together and get a bunch of people in a room and maybe something awesome will happen. Obviously, right? I mean, it's like a silly example, but it's saying, all right, well, how can we capture, we can do that impossible thing of like taking that, that beautiful picture that you painted for us all just now and put it in a bottle, right? And then mass produce it. <laughs> it, is, it is a bit of a paradox, right? Because on the one hand, we would say, of course you can't do that. But on the other hand, we would say, well, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but at least we should be talking about that additional element that you were able to bring to the table in that experience, right? You, you, you named a number of material things. We agree none of those uh, were essential to the, to the experience and you know, but they were there. Yeah, of course. You know, you can't discount them. You named, you know, a, a unit of time. It was an afternoon, right? You, you named some of the other factors, etc. But what you really told us a story about, you really described, was something deeper than that, right? And that's what this conversation's about, right? What is that? And how do we help more people be aware of that, be intentional about that, and the first step, of course, is to say, all right, well, if you can identify it and you can recognize it as a thing, as an essential ingredient, then you have a better chance of more people having that experience, much better than if you just gave them the recipe list. You need these five things in a, in a warm afternoon, right? That There is something meaningful and powerful there in that. I wonder if it's, been thinking about this because I'm kind of a big believer that, uh, you know, I only have a certain bandwidth and capacity for my individual will. And frankly, I don't trust my individual will. Um, I trust my environmental will more. For instance, if there's a lot of chocolate around my house, don't ask me not to eat it. Um, <laughs> I will be able to restrain myself for a day or two. But if I constantly look at the cacao bar in the cabinet as I open it, I'm eventually going to eat it. To some extent, yep. Where I'm going with this is, is that I find a lot of the secular world, a lot of the business world uh, to be a lot of list and a lot of checking boxes and mm -hmm. thus a parallel cognitive framework where constant people are in a reductionist mode. How can we do it where we actually create conditions and allow the details just to sort of play out the way that they need to play out, the way that the larger universe just is way beyond our our human consciousness capacity, yeah. but to create conditions. So the economic energy is used to convert into conditions that create possibilities for generative life energy, rather than right now so much economic energy is converted into uh, conditions that actually extract life energy um, or deplete it. 
I really right. do believe that there's an abundant amount of energy, uh, sort of an infinite amount of energy. It's just our ability to harness it and channel it to a large extent. And our financial system is merely just a place where we're storing this human energy that's been exercised and converted into economic energy as a store of value, in essence, that we use on the material plane, yes, to, and it moves through time and space. But so much of it is converted into, con when, when I use my economic energy, I ask myself, okay, I can convert it back into the material realm to get X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And that in turn will have consequences on how I feel and mm -hmm. my capacity to access that life force. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the prana, the chi, you name it, yep. whatever, you know, sort of framework people are coming from. There are terms, but civilization's been aching for. Civilization yeah. wants to live in that space. We want yeah. to do work. We want to live. We want to make love. We always want to be in that space when whatever we're doing, while we have this small little moment on earth as sentient beings, which will be, which comes and goes very quickly. And I think yeah. that there is a general motivation toward that, but yet our designs our, our civilized designs, our, our so-called civilized designs, sometimes aren't so civil right. with the life force. So just like to sort of get your thoughts on all that. Yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because we, we know that none of the economic, you know, material resources that you have available to you, whoever you are, are going to get you any closer to that kind of, let's call it kind of spiritual wealth, right? And this isn't a, it's, it doesn't have to be a religious conversation. This doesn't even have to be a spirituality conversation, right? This idea that there is a psychological and even maybe more so than just, you know, kind of chemicals in one's brain, um, component of health and well-being. There is a financial component of health and well-being there is a time-based you know balance in one's life you know kind of component of health and well-being these are not you know radical concepts these are not radical statements right but oftentimes people get a little they get a little queasy when you start talking about <laughs> the spiritual world right but let's let's go there and let's dive right into it i mean i love it because it's a fallacy to pretend that that doesn't exist it may be difficult to identify what it is. And we may all disagree about the terms we use to describe it. Some people may say, you know, you use kind of religious terms and other people may use philosophical and spiritual terms, et cetera. But let's just assume that we're all kind of talking about the same thing, right? Now, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the famous stories of kind of the Hindu and Buddhist monks, you know, of thousands of years ago, they renounce all material possessions, right? The, the story of Siddhartha, uh, you know, the Buddha, and one of the primary lessons of that story, I think, is that, you know, the renunciation of wealth is the path, of, of material things is the path toward that spiritual. Okay, but that that's there, right? But that, that is this kind of idea that these things may be disconnected, but they're definitely relevant to the conversation, right? You know, we know that, all right, if I have wealth, I may be able to buy myself more time in my day. But I don't have to have wealth 
to be thoughtful about how I spend and balance my time. I mean, there are plenty of people who don't historically, you know, through the history of the world, who have not had significant wealth, but have really figured out, all right, well, how do I make sure to spend amazing quality time with the people or, um, you know, with the pursuits that, that feed my soul, right, that, that, I, that I love? And that's kind of this other piece to it, right? Well, kind of what is what we're doing and how, you know, and how is that connected to this idea of feeding our soul? You know, it's funny because I didn't think we were going we to go there, but to me, this really, you know, ties back to why I started the firm and why I, you know, kind of embarked upon the journey that I'm on. And at the beginning it was, you know, I had this idea, right? You know, kind of as a kid, I had this idea. I want to be an international lawyer and I want to fly around the world and operate in between cultures. And, you know, and so, you know, I took a, I did a bunch of stuff that eventually one day landed me in that seat and I was there. And I remember very clearly, I thought I was at the top of my personal mountain, having achieved all uh, of the material and, you know, and otherwise things I, uh, was looking for, and the only prevailing thought or feeling inside me was how empty it was, and how disappointing it was. That I was like, "Wait a minute, I'm here. I've kind of achieved all that stuff that I set out to achieve. That I I was measuring in terms of material stuff, right? Title, yeah, kind of compensation." Uh, even time, right? Like, you know, do I have you know time to hang out and do cool stuff and go great places or whatever? And it was all empty. It was, it was, it was very, you know, and that is what really launched me on this, this, this pursuit, which then became a journey of purpose and meaning and what really matters. And I can draw a direct line from that day to this conversation right now, because. I think you've just given me this this other frame to think about well, what, how do we think about what matters, right? And it, it goes to the answer to your question, I think, a little bit, right? Which is, why measure it? Well, I feel like if the 14-year-old version of me knew that there was an ax, another third axis called feeding your soul, <laughs> you know, spending your time, spending your money, and feeding your soul, then I might have approached what I did differently. Not that I would change anything, because it it has really been an amazing journey of discovery. But nevertheless, right, if we're trying to say, all right, well, we want to build these really impactful product services, enterprises that have these incredible outcomes, and we want to sell these ideas to a broad array of people, some of whom are investors, some of whom are counterparties, some of whom are stakeholders, customers, you know, whatever, then to be truly authentic about what it is that we're talking about, I think we have to really be able to explore this and talk about it and, you know, be open to challenge around it. Say, all right, well, cool. Like, yeah, you know, you're going to give these microfinance loans to uh, women and, you know, XYZ country, and you can measure the return profile. You can talk about the 
uh, default rate. And you can look at these kind of criteria and you can describe this as a good business, as a good enterprise, because you're uplifting people and you're, there's a very predictable capital flow and you know all this kind of stuff. You can you do that, but I think that we ought to be thinking about, all right, well, what is the qualitative effect on the lives of the people that we're serving? Because that's the whole point of this, right? That's that's why yeah. we're doing it, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's what we're looking for. So I don't know if I've answered your question, mm. but I've definitely got myself thinking about Well, I, I think what comes up for me is, is that um... – you were referring to outcomes about people um, that were um, a few degrees that you're trying to help. I'm guessing one of your biggest influences is actually um, that you're having is on the people that are working with you and vice versa, the people that, um, um, that you're working with. And one is, is that how big of an appetite has there been for, you know, I work with lawyers um, on a weekly basis, and obviously they're not impact lawyers. They're just doing what they do. It's a very secularized sense of what law is. And I'm asking them to do no more, but um, you're visiting this sort of this uncharted frontier of saying, look, we can be in service in ways that previous conceptions of practice and law haven't been. So one, has that story had much of an appetite amongst fellow lawyers? And do they have similar stories as a result when they come to you? And then two, back to the life energy thing, how do you know when you're in the same room? Because I'm guessing you're getting some pretty prestigious um, you know, resumes that are saying, I want out of XYZ firm. And you're like thinking, man, this is a big ass firm. And I know the kind of credentials you have to have to get in this. And yet I can offer you X, but I can't offer you this. What are you seeing in the room and the kinds of people that you're meshing with? And if you can just give us a little context of what's happening at a subterranean level. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, okay. So to the first question, I think that there's always been this idea of, you know, a consigliere, right? Someone who goes beyond you know, technical know-how and market knowledge um, and the ability to negotiate well and the ability to draft well. And, you know, those are all kind of, you know, table stakes, right? Those are things that one has to be able to do to be at the top of the game. And then there is this, this additional thing, right? We have these people in our lives. Sometimes they're lawyers, sometimes they're friends, sometimes they're advisors, you name it, right? But the folks who really get it, they get who we are, they get where we're going, where we want to be going, who we want to be, they get that. And they're there to help us do that. They're, help, they're there to help us realize that. And to me, I think that is the most interesting part of any conversation, any enterprise. It just, I just really enjoy understanding kind of who people are and where they want to go. And I also get really excited when the place they want to go or the outcome that they want to achieve is something that I also believe in. And that's when I get excited and I say, amazing, 
you you know how to do A, B, and C, and I know how to do D, and I think I can help you get there. And I think you can, I can help you get there in a creative or intentional way that is not bound by the traditional ways of doing things, right? Like, you know, I have people come to me all the time and say, oh, I want to build a fund that is going to, you know, an impact fund. Now, oftentimes I'm like, okay, maybe, but let's talk about what you want to achieve. What does the end result look like for you? What does the world look like if you were successful? And then it's a co-creation exercise. All right, well, what's the most efficient and thoughtful path between here and there? And what does the future look like once we get there? Those are, I don't know, are, are those questions that lawyers are typically asking or should they be asking? Right? I think, you know, at this firm, that's, what, that's the conversation we have. And it allows us to practice our craft, I think, in a better more thoughtful, more intentional way. Is that impact lawyering? I think that's kind of what it is. Um, well, where's the impact in that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get excited by people who are looking to make the world a better place in some meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And we know how to build stuff in the economic and financial world. And sometimes that stuff can be really helpful to these folks who are looking to change the world. What's an example for somebody that's not familiar with Impact Law? Can you walk us through a case study or something you're working on without having to name uh, specific names? Or if you can, uh, a deal that's already been done, that's great. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about a couple um, that are more publicly known or, or reported up. So there's... Um, there's a client we have called Circulate Capital. And they're, you know, from day one before anything existed, right? There's a visionary that sits in that company called Rob Kaplan. And uh, Rob uh, and I were sitting down one day and we were talking about this idea they had incubated at this, you know, in, in some conversations around addressing and maybe even one day solving the problem of ocean plastic, right? This idea that plastic has been leaking into the oceans and poisoning, destroying underwater environments. It's a, um, it's been a problem that's been around for a very long time. And so the question was, how do we focus energy capital, time, intentionality? How do we focus all these things in order to really start building the solutions to this huge and seemingly intractable problem, right? And so we started this really wonderful relationship between our, like, you know, ourselves and our, and our kind of organizations. And now these are kind of big enterprises. But ultimately, we, you know, we started to kind of conceptualize, all right, well, it's a fund, but it's a fund that uses, you know, deploys both debt and equity. And it's a fund that, you know, has LPs who care about all sorts of different things. Some care about a financial return. Others care about tonnage of plastic diverted. Others care about 
the capital being deployed into uh, into societies that don't have robust economic, you know, entrepreneurial ecosystems. Others cared about, you know, you name it, right? There's this kind of crazy long list. We had to pull together this motley crew of different types of folks, people who were thinking about their returns in super different ways and put them all into one house, right? Under one roof so that we could focus all of that capital, organize it in a way that it could be catalytic, right? That, that, you know, all of these different objectives came with different return expectations. And so all of those folks have to live in the same ecosystem, in the same, you know, economic structure. And that was really, really challenging. We had to create some new stuff that didn't exist before. Legal infrastructure, right? Kind of agreements and, and, and relationships, and then negotiate those and convince you know, all the different people that, hey, this is a good idea, this is going to work, et cetera. And so, you know, without getting into the boring part of it, right, the kind of super legal technical stuff, the point is that, you know, how do you get people to, to be able to collaborate and communicate and, 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 and work together in order to achieve a very difficult result? Well, that is kind of what the law is, right? Contracts are just agreements. You and I can agree to build this, that, the other thing, right? To do this, that, and the other thing, whatever. Contract is just, we're writing it down so we don't forget. And then if I change my mind and I'm like, I don't want to do this thing, then you can say, hey, hold on. You said you were going to do this and you have an enforcement mechanism around that, right? That's where this kind of comes from. The point I'm making is that lawyers are just weavers of the fabric of connectivity between all of us. That's what lawyers, if you boil it all down and you take all the mumbo jumbo out of it, that's what a lawyer does, a good lawyer, right? Is, you know, person A and B and C and D and da da da, right? Right, depending on how complex it is. They want to achieve something together, right? They are building a relationship to do that thing. The lawyer is the one who weaves the cloth that connects all of them together, right? And within how you go about weaving that cloth, you can affect the relationship you can say you you can either recognize and and be conscious of or oblivious to or you know manipulate alignments or misalignments between those folks right because in order to weave that fabric between you and the person you want to you know build business i gotta understand cool what are your expectations and where do you want to go and what are you sensitive to and what are you worried about and I got to talk to them too, and I got to understand that as well. And that those are the points of connection that you're building, right? Those are the clauses within a contract, right? The, those are the different fibers that are being woven together. And so as an impact lawyer, I get to think about those things multidimensionally, right? I get to talk to you. I can say, hey, Gino, you want to do this thing. Cool. Well, what's your return expectation? What's your risk tolerance? And you know, how much are what? What's the IRR that you're expecting? And that this and that that and that da da da. Right? Okay. Cool. That's one layer. Now I can say, cool. And why are you doing this? Like, what's the point? Why aren't you doing anything other random thing? What What is it about this thing that compelled you? Okay. Well, is there stuff in that that we have to protect? Is there are there hidden assumptions in there that you're anticipating? Right? What do you need to see? Well, who are your stakeholders? 
what do you need to see to be able to report back to them that you're doing the right thing, right? What is that, you know, uh, what does that complex system look like? Who are all the different players? What are they expecting? And then how does that inform how we approach the other side? And then how do we build something whereby we're building trust along the way so that, you know, after I'm done weaving the connected, it's not a good idea for you guys to hate each other after that process, right? You and, you know, your, your contractual counterparty, right? That to me is the wrong approach. The right approach is to say, listen, this is a, a, a values alignment exercise. This is a incentive alignment exercise. What do you need? What do we need? How do we do, how do we build this such that at the end of this, we're actually going to be able to work better together as opposed to have a bunch of mistrust between us, right? Those I think are the most important qualities and characteristics of, of a lawyer, but especially a lawyer in this impact space, because people are looking to do something more, yeah. more meaningful, and, and I would argue more important than turn a profit in having done this thing, right? Turning a profit is an essential component to this stuff. It has to be able to do that if it's going to be sustainable. Not, and I don't, I don't mean sustainable capital as sustainable, you know, in terms of sustainability. I'm saying if it's going to be able to live beyond, you know, the initial amount of capital that anyone invests into this thing, right? Okay, so that's, you know, in terms of how I think about what we do. In terms of the people in the world, right? And, well, in, in, you know, to, to really directly answer your question, how do you know? How do you feel it? when you're talking to someone who gets that it's, it's around these topics, right? I don't, you know, if you've seen like every kind of country you can draft and you know this, and, okay, great. You know, but do you understand this deeper element to it, right? Kind of the relationship building, the fiber, you know, creating kind of the weaving, let's call it, you know, component to what we do and why that matters. Then I feel like I know that I'm talking to someone who kind of, understands this world in the same way that I do, right? The second point is kind of in terms of talent, right? This is a really tough, this is an interesting one because it's such a hot topic, hot button topic, I guess, these days, right? You know, in the legal world, like in many, many worlds right now, there is a massive kind of quote unquote war for talent, right? It's kind of super ultra competitive space, right? Kind of all the law firms in the world are making record profits right now, right? There's a ton of stimulus money from, you know, every major economy sloshing around in the, in the markets right now. And who's soaking a lot of that up? Well, the, you know, the lawyers and the, you know, the PE shops and the venture funds and the this and the, there's a lot of, you know, gasoline in the engine, right? So to speak, right? So that's a great thing. There's lots of stuff happening. Cool. Well, there is a, shortage really of kind of talented health workers. And at the same time, you know, this big paradox, right? You have this great resignation happening where people are just saying enough is enough. This isn't for me. Um, pandemic has taken significant toll, you know, to say nothing for the physical toll, right? But you know, here I'm just talking about kind of the emotional toll, you know, on people. And so now all of a sudden there's this interesting situation where we're saying, all right, well, we're a firm that is super intentional and we really only 
do stuff that we think is impactful. And we work with some of these most amazing, you know, and it's, it's a really nice coincidence that, you know, the, the, the by and large, the vast majority of the people that are active in the impact space also happen to be really cool, uh, delightful people to work with. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, you know, agree. it's a really wonderful place to be. Right? Yeah. And yet, you know, we're a tiny, you know, by, by, by any measure, a tiny and very young firm. It's been an incredible ride, but we're only 12 and a half years old. Right? We've grown by double digit figures, you know, every year, but we're still only 12 and a half years old. We have roughly 20 people worldwide. You know, that's like, it's a tiny drop in the bucket compared to any of these other shops. But when you look at it from another perspective, say, all right, well, we have 20 professionals that focus on this thing. Find me another law firm that has 20 professionals within the thousands and thousands of people they have that are all highly coordinated, you know, deeply aligned and uh, and fully, you know, kind of focused on doing this kind of work, right? I think that's an advantage for us. So now how do I kind of take this and kind of sell it to people in the space? And like you said, there are a lot of people out there with, you know, glittering resumes who are at these kind of big shops. And listen, we need to hire folks from these big shops. We need people that have the training in the various different disciplines of what we do. And there are, you know, it's, you know, it's an ever growing number every year of people who somehow find us, right? Like through Google searches. I heard about this thing called impact investing. And then I Google searched impact investing law firm and you guys popped up. (laughs) I I get that a lot. Um, And I love it. I mean, I think it's, it's awesome. Um, But we are looking, you know, we're growing where we're trying to grow right now. We have more work than we know what to do with. We turn away, you know, we turn away pretty much everything that's not impactful. And then we turn away. Sometimes we have to turn away things that we'd love to be able to do because more important that we do things well than we do lots of things. We also have a wildly different expectation around what people, the amount of work that people do and how much of their life force they they devote to this, right? I would rather someone say, actually, I, I love the way that we're, we're just thinking about it here because I've never even had this vocabulary before, but it's not a time measure, right? We, we thought about, all right, well, you know, we have a expectation around the amount of time that one puts in that's well below what it is in the market. Then we said, all right, well, we're going to cap it. Right? We, we're going to put our cap at a number that's well below the floor of these other places, right? And it was a time kind of based, I was thinking along that one axis, but why is, you know, less time in a lawyer's world means less money, right? It's just, you know, in terms of the way that lawyers bill, right? Less time means less money. But it's the third axis that we're really trying to get at. We're trying to say, all right, we'll bring you know, be in a really good mental state so that you can bring 100% life energy to this. And that's fulfilling, right? It's not depleting. It shouldn't be. Time is depleting, especially when you're doing stuff that you don't care about. I've been there and I know what that feels like. But it is actually energizing to be able to do things that you're passionate about, to work with people that you're inspired by. That is actually energizing. So that's, I guess, the other paradox is that by spending, having the freedom and the flexibility to be able to spend meaningful life energy 
towards an investment or invest it in a worthwhile enterprise, that is actually something that generates a lot more life energy back to back to you. For sure. Thanks, Chintin. It seems like we've um, threaded um, the life energy original theme all the way through. And so it just seems like such an appropriate way to, um, to summarize, you know, I mean, your gifts to the world and some of the things that, that you're journeying through at the moment. And where could people find more about your work and um, the kind of stuff you're doing in the world? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, so we're, we're at rpck.com, www.rpck.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I pretty much uh, exist online in those two places. And then I try to have conversations with people like you as much as I, as much as I possibly can. <laughs> the old-fashioned way, huh? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's that third axis. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, to, I mean, to, to all those that are listening, this is, um, this is a really unique podcast because there's not a lot of people in law that are making this leap, um, like Chintin is. And, um, and it really sort of process what, what he's sharing with the world. I mean, in my mind, you're about 30 years ahead of perhaps where the, where, you know, I mean, the world will be. Uh, so it's kind of nice. You're also uh, a legal pioneer, I think, in some ways. I know you called yourself an impact lawyer and then an advisor and then an entrepreneur. But there is sort of this uh, Lewis and Clark mission to, I mean, your little story where you're going out and mapping, uh, sort of mapping the territory. And to some extent, I, I hope that it's not just a gift to yourself and your firm, but to the space as a whole, uh, because we all benefit if the legal space is generative, um, you know, I mean, society as a whole, uh, both directly and indirectly, uh, has a huge, huge vested interest, not just for the people, but then for all the people that actually are doing the work that are impacting other people. And so thank you so much for, for, for bringing that awareness front and center. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that there's so much work to be done. We couldn't possibly do any or all of it, right? We're a tiny little team, but I hope that, you know, there are, there are thousands and thousands of people that are doing this um, in very short order. So I I couldn't agree more. And I think it's through conversations like this, I learn more about myself and my own journey uh, and, uh, and hopefully can, can inspire some ideas in, in other folks as well. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening in to today's conversation on the poetry of impact. The podcast exists for and because of listeners like you. Be sure to subscribe to the Poetry of Impact podcast on your favorite podcast player. And if you have time, leave us a review. Thanks again and goodbye for now. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Poetry of Impact podcast. For show notes and additional resources, visit poetryofimpact.com.